Hi, Doxology. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle, and I'm a member here. I will be doing the scripture reading for tonight. Uh, so tonight we are going to be doing uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, which is all of uh, chapter 3. So I invite you to turn your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that look like this in the pews in front of you uh, or up front. You're welcome to take one of those as our gift to you. If you do use one of those Bibles, we're going to be on page 581. Uh, if not, you can always use your phone or other electronic device. Uh, so again, I invite you to tr- turn to chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, red, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence from firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For we, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kyle. Well, good evening, everybody. And if you are new, joining us for the first time, my name is Steve and really glad you're here. We are going through Hebrews and the theme of Hebrews, we're going to say this uh, close to every week, if not every week, is persevere, draw near, do it together. Persevere, draw near, do it together. If you remember and apply one thing from this entire series, remember that. Okay, it's something all the children should be able to do and uh, all the adults should be able to do as well. And so as we go through Hebrews, and we're starting to see it now that we're in far enough, um, Hebrews has this um, alternating uh, fashion to it where on the one hand, you have some of the hardest passages in Hebrews that you have in all of Scripture, and that's the, the persevere part. And then on the other hand, you have the, some of the most comforting passages in all of Scripture, and that's the draw near part. Uh, draw near to Jesus Christ, and then we do this together as a community. And so it'll go, you know, like comfort, warning, comfort, warning. Who would have thought the compliment sandwich started 2,000 years ago in the book of Hebrews, right? And what we have today is one of the, one of the warnings. Uh, this is a, this is a hard passage, and it's verse 12, and this is the, this is the heart, this is the essence of the entire chapter. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Um, we know this is the heart of the passage because as we saw in, in the first week of Hebrews, Hebrews is an extended exhortation or a sermon. An exhortation can be something encouraging or it can be a strong, loving warning. And so anytime we see an imperative or here's what you need to do, that's what everything around it is going to orbit around in the book of Hebrews, okay? And so that's how we know. So this is what we're going to, there's a lot of stuff in here, but this is what we're going to mainly focus on just because that's what the passage is primarily about. And so as we head into this, um, it's a heavy passage. Uh, it's, it's not the heaviest passage we're going to experience in Hebrews. There's a reason why I was scared to preach through Hebrews for the longest time. Uh, but it's a warning here, and it's a warning because God cares about us. You know, I mean, just the other week, Titus, we we're on a walk with him, and out of nowhere, he just, he sprinted into the street. And, you know, we had to run and grab him, and that's it. You know, Titus, when you see a street, you don't sprint into it. We were giving him that warning. Why? Be- because we hate him? No, because we love him. And so as we see these warnings in Scripture, it's because God cares for us. And so um, I'll be, certainly be setting this under, other, under this with you as we go through it. And so uh, let's just approach it with an open mind and see how God can grow us and fill us with life, because that's what he always wants to do. So um, what we're going to look at is this idea of a hardened heart. A hardened heart, it's quite an image, and uh, we'll see it under three lines in this passage. First, we'll see the likelihood of a hardened heart. Uh, Next, we'll see the symptoms of a hardened heart, like how do you know if you have one? And then number three, it's cure. Uh, So first, the likelihood of a hardened heart. Uh, Number two, it's symptoms. And then number three, it's cure. Okay, so first, number one, the likelihood of a hardened heart. So let's look at verse 12 one more time. Uh, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He's talking to people in the church, mind you, and he says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. That doesn't sound like the most diplomatic of word choices. You know, so if you were to have someone from doxology over for dinner and they look at you with a serious expression, they go, I think you have an evil, unbelieving heart. Like, you get defensive, right? And I I think our natural response is to get defensive here, but we shouldn't get defensive. We need to take this seriously, and we know we should take it seriously because of the case the author makes in this passage. And what he does is he compares us to the Israelites that were brought out of Egypt in the Exodus story. Um, So go ahead, it's all over here, but let's look at verse 16 uh, to center on. So for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt with, who left Egypt led by Moses? So the author is making a comparison here between us and the people of Israel. And if you've uh, read the Exodus story, uh, the Israelites, they were enslaved to the Egyptians for 400 years. And then God comes in through Moses, and, you know, it's crazy. If you read, it's in Exodus 7 to 12, like, it's crazy. God comes in and kicks butt on the Egyptians, basically. And so if you're an Israelite, picture this. as The ten plagues, are, ten plagues are coming in. It's wild. So you see thousands of frogs going into the Egyptians' home, but not yours. Uh, the, the Egyptians' livestock are dying, but not yours. And then you're led out of Egypt. You know, you walk through the Red Sea, these giant walls of water on either side of you. You probably see some crazy fish around you, right? You get out. You're led by a pillar of fire. Manna is falling from heaven, for Pete's sake. And, but what happens? It says, the people led by Moses still rebelled. So these weren't pagans. These weren't heathens. These were people in the covenant community of God. And even after seeing these miraculous works of God, they still hardened their hearts and rebelled. And so what the author is saying is, you and me today, and he, he repeatedly puts himself under the razor's edge throughout this entire sermon of Hebrews, you know, you and me today, we have been liberated by a tyrant as well. Not a human tyrant like the, like the Israelites were, but the tyranny of sin. 
And God has brought us now into a covenant community of the local church, leading us to the new heaven and new earth, the parallel of the promised land that the Israelites were being led into. And so if it happened to the, if it happened to the Israelites who saw these crazy tangible works of God, then it's going to happen to you, or at least the odds are very high. Okay, because this isn't an atypical thing. This is the human condition, no matter how much God does to harden our heart against him. And we need this warning. I was thinking about it. It's a little bit like this. So as I was transitioning into full-time ministry, I, I did need cheerleaders, you know, who could look me in the eye and say, you and Kelsey can do this. You know, you and Kelsey and your core team and your church, like you guys can do this together. I needed that. But I think what I needed even more than that was a few people who loved me enough to say things like this. So I had a few people who said, you know, Steve, just so you know, uh, over 50% of pastors don't make it past the five-year mark in full-time, in full-time ministry, and their family lives are often a wreck just because of the stresses of ministry and you know, putting, putting the church first. And so you need to make sure from the get-go that you prioritize your family, that you develop healthy rhythms of rest. Okay, also a lot of pastor, pastors fall into immensely destructive behavior. Like they start doing things that they never dreamed they would have doing because um, sometimes by choice, sometimes it just happens. They get removed from both the formal and informal accountability structures of the church. And so they just become self-deceived and they all of a sudden find themselves doing these things that they never dreamed they would be doing. And so you need people in your life who are going to get in your business and you need to be honest with everyone around you about how you're actually doing. And, you know, some people may say, oh, well, that, that's a pretty harsh thing to, to tell me. But it's because they told me that, um, of how sober I needed to be. It actually enabled me to be more faithful to the calling that God, you know, had given to me rather than less. And it's, you know, God using them and continuing to use people like that, many of you in this church, uh, to help me not fall into those patterns that so many pastors do. And um, that's what the author here in Hebrews is essentially saying, is he's saying, if you don't take seriously the fact that it doesn't matter if you're an elder, a deacon, a group leader, if your parent is a pastor, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, if you don't take seriously that five years from now, 20 years from now, you may walk away from Jesus, you're actually in greater danger of falling away because you're not being sober. You're being very naive about actually what you can do in your own strength. And he tells us this not to rattle our faith, but to help us actually live with greater vigilance so we can persevere to the end. And o- along with that, along with, helping it per- along with helping us persevere, another thing it should do for us is it should give us a radical and life-giving humility. Because, you know, one of the reasons why it's so easy to become impatient or exasperated by um, or feel self-righteous toward people who you view as not as mature as you right, or not as far as along as you, is because you don't see what's being communicated here where, I mean, if you're a believer, that's only by the mercy of God. And all of us have the capacity within us to turn away from Jesus. And so if that's true for us, we should have incredible humility as we look toward other people if we're upheld by the grace of God. Um, so it should give us a, a life-giving, you know, relational aspect to our lives as well. And people should, should sense that as they hang out with us. Okay, so first, that's just the first thing we, like, we actually try not to, like, beat this drum too much, but if, we, if we're just like, oh, that's never going to happen to me, then we're not actually going to grow in the way that, that Hebrews wants us to grow. Okay, so that, that's the first thing we see is, like, the, the actual likelihood of getting a heart that's hardened. 
So number two, if, if it's likely that it may happen, uh, what are the symptoms of it? You know, how do we know that our heart is either in the process of hardening or it's, it's already hardened? And uh, we see a few in here. Uh, we see a bunch, but just go over a few. Uh, the first thing, so see verse 9 and 10. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation. And when you go back and read the Exodus ne- uh, narrative in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and, and Numbers, what you see is w- when God was being put to the test by the Israelites, one of the main ways the Israelites provoked him was through grumbling. Just constant grumbling. Why do we have to walk so much? Why aren't we there yet? In Egypt, we had melons and cucumbers and fish. They actually said that. Like, they were enslaved. You know, we had pots of meat. We're just getting this delicious bread that keeps falling from the heavens every single— like, over and over and over, grumbling and complaining. And so for you and me—and, you know, this is after they've seen all these works of God. And so for you and me, especially after seeing God give up his only son for us, and we've seen Jesus willingly come and live and die and rise again for us, I mean, what should that do for our posture? And so as we think about just being mindful of a hardened heart— Just ask yourself a question, you know, especially when hard seasons come or when you don't get things that you hope for. It's not that we can't go to God and voice our honest longings. We saw that all throughout the Psalms. But is the dominant tone that people pick up in your life, is it one of grumbling and complaint? You know, be it in your discipleship group, with your family hangouts, with your coworkers? Or is there a sense of indebtedness about you? You Like a sense of, I owe Jesus so much. Not not in a guilty way, but like, I can't believe someone would love me like this. And counting the things that you are grateful for, because here's the thing, when when there's a either overt or implicit um, steady note of complaint in your life, you don't tend to trust people that you complain against, right? And so if you're constantly complaining, that's reflective of what you believe God's given you or has not or his character and so, and we don't go to people we trust, and so that's going to put more and more distance between us and God. Okay, so that, that's the first thing, just being watching out for grumbling rather than ingratitude. Uh, number two, another way you know your heart is being hardened is, and this is one of the ways one of my teachers put it, is you listen to human intuition more than you do divine revelation. So human intuition rather than divine revelation and you, we see this repeatedly throughout the passage. We'll look at a few places. We'll look at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, then he quotes a psalm. So here, just as a side note, I mean, as long as 2,000 years ago, this is a case for the inspiration of Scripture, right? So the psalmist was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then look at uh, verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16, for who are those who heard and yet rebelled? So you see this repeated theme of you hear God's clear voice, but yet you choose to ignore it, or you choose to go with, say, cultural conviction or your own intuition. And what's devious is it doesn't, it's not like a one and done thing, but it's a, it's a process that happens over a span of time. And so, uh, as one example, one of the places we see this is in the Star Wars saga, 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 uh, the Star Wars saga. And so, episodes one, two, and three, yeah, they're awful, except Darth Maul, who's a pretty cool character. Um, episodes one, two, and three, yeah, amid all the corny lines, one of the things that I, I think is actually, at least is helpful for us to look at is, how does Anakin go from that 
sweet boy with an annoying voice, but a sweet boy in episode, sorry, I shouldn't say those things up here. A sweet boy in episode one to the hardened Vader in episode three, you know, where he killed all the children, and then episode six, where he turned over his own son to the emperor. Like, that's pretty merciless. And how did it happen? It wasn't one moment. Right? It was repeatedly, he had wiser people in his life. He had Yoda, he had Obi-Wan, he had other people saying, you know, no, Anakin, don't follow the dark side this way. Don't go this way. And again and again, he thought because he was so gifted that he knew what was right until eventually he came to a place where, I mean, his soul was completely darkened. And so it is for us. And so the, the helpful, it's both convicting and helpful, but I mean, God's voice is so clear revealed, in, revealed in, in his word. And so um, take a number of things. You have two more overt things. So like one thing that's very clear in scripture, um, God says, you know, just as Christ being rich was made poor so that by his poverty you might become rich, and out of that you should give generously with your finances. I mean, a lot of people, not just outside the church, but inside the church, look at like, okay, so I'm supposed to give roughly 10% of my income away? That's crazy. You ask any financial advisor, you know, outside of the church, like, is this a wise, they'll say that's crazy. Or Jesus makes it so clear that sex is for a man and a woman and a covenant of marriage. But in a first world progressive, you know, nation like ours, we look at that and we say, that's crazy. That's even repressive. And so, okay, let me figure out how to, you know, reinterpret some of these passages so it doesn't actually say what, what it says. And those are some of the more overt things, but I mean, think about some of the more, some of the more subtle things that, I mean, I was thinking about even for my own life. So uh, Ephesians chapter four says things to the effect of, you know, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building up and gives grace to those who hear. And I'll tell you, you know, when I get in a mood or I'm around certain people that I feel comfortable with, it's not just constructive speech that comes out of my mouth. Right, or Jesus in Matthew 5 says, if you've wronged anybody or someone has wronged you, like don't even go to worship service before you go and reconcile with that person face to face. And you know, so just theoretically, if I've ever had an argument with my wife, or theoretically, in theory, if I've had an argument, like wronged somebody else or been wronged, there's so many times I just don't either because it's awkward or I want them to apologize first. And but what Hebrews is getting at is the, these decisions, whether they're, quote, big things or just the little things, we're just talking in a crass and crude way. These aren't neutral decisions. But each time we choose, you know, I'm going to ignore God's voice and go with my intuition, like what I feel is right. It ices over our heart with each and every decision. And so are, are we grumbling rather than being in gratitude? Are we, are we actually listening to God's voice rather than going with hu human intuition or cultural conviction? And then number three, what's one way you know that your heart may be hard or hardened? And it's this, uh, see it in, where do we see it? Yes, verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of, th of sin. The thing that's scary about sin is it convinces you that you're right. Like why spiritual blindness is so much more deadly than physical blindness, because with physical blindness, you know you're blind, so you take precautions. Spiritual blindness, when you're in a pattern of sin, you don't know you're blind. And one of the ways this manifests itself is if somebody comes to you and confronts you, do you get prickly? 
Like, is your, one of your first responses to get really defensive, you know, when somebody just comes to you and says, hey, you know, I, I noticed something like this in your life, you immediately want, you know, want to put your defense attorney hat on and say, no, here's why you're wrong, or like nod in person, but then you walk away and stew in bitterness. Or, because just being deceived, right, we're going to think the other person's wrong. And this is true for everyone in here, you know, myself included. Or is there a posture of openness? You know, either, hey, you're, you're right. You Thank you for loving me enough to say something. Or, I honestly don't see what you're talking about, um, but I'm willing to acknowledge that you may be able to see something that I can't. You know, can we, can we look at that together? So if, if we're always defensive, if we're, if we're more quick to, oh boy, yeah, if we're more quick to notice the sins and flaws of others um, rather than we are just, you know, being convicted of, of our own shortcomings, then that's, that's a sign that we're deceived, Right, so do you get defensive rather than having a posture of openness when people confront you in love? Is, it, is another indication your heart may be hardening, right, or be hardened? Okay, so those are, those are some of the symptoms. Uh, Lord, help us. How do we cure it? Uh, how, how do we cure a, a heart that, that's hardening? Um, let's look at a few things in here, and the heart of it is in, again, verse 12 and 13. So, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a frightening thought. But then what? Verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this is fascinating. So note the opposite of having an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from God is what? Thick community, you could say. Right? Exhort one another every day. Exhort can be encourage or warn, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. So the way we don't become hardened is by being immersed in a thick community where we are exhorting, one, encouraging one another, and urging and warning one another each and every single day. And so here's what's, um, this is something that um, I heard pointed out in this passage. Notice what's interesting. So he doesn't say, take care lest you have a heart that's hardened, but instead read your Bible, now, to be clear, reading your Bible absolutely matters. 100% Hebrews, uh, in the next chapter, we're going to see that. But why do you think he doesn't say, be, fight a hardened heart by reading the Bible? The Bible absolutely matters. But it's not enough, right? If, if sin is, you know, the power of Christ is more than our sin by far, but sin still does exist. And if, if we can become deceived, then if we're just on our own reading the scriptures, then we're going to be blind to things. And, you know, one, one of the ways that we know this is, and I know this isn't news to a lot of you, but, you know, over the, just the past few years alone, there have been these tragic stories of men and women in leadership positions who have fallen hard, who have either become disqualified in ministry because of their character, or they've just, you know, they've come out as, you know, I'm, I no longer believe. And we have to ask, do you think it's because they weren't reading their Bible regularly, I think most of them were. A lot of even talk about how much they were reading the scriptures, right? I mean, at minimum, you have to read the Bible to, pre- to prepare for the teachings, and, you know, and the, the leadership things that you're doing. So why do you think they ended up falling away and developing a hard heart? And one of the key reasons is, is because often what happens in a leadership position, as we alluded to earlier, is they either, A, remove themselves, right, from the accountability structure, so they didn't actually have people who were opening their eyes, or they did have people speaking into their life, but they were refusing to listen, and so for us, what we all need to do is just to, to assume that this is going to be the trajectory we, we're on. If we coast, okay, if we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if we just coast, 
the trajectory is going to be toward a hardened heart, and so we need to be in an in a intense, thick community where we are with one another and encouraging one. And notice he doesn't say, but exhort one another unless you're a pastor. All right, so you guys need to be exhorting me. And there have been so many times where you guys have said incredibly um, hard but necessary things to me. Right? It doesn't say exhort one another unless you're a deacon or a community group leader or a member or attendant. We all need to be doing this. Okay, so that, that's the first thing is just, you know, are we actually in true, genuine community with one another? Number two, and this dovetails off of that, uh, I heard something that was very helpful from a mentor of mine when uh, I was heading into full-time ministry, but this applies to if you're not in full-time ministry as well. He said, if you really want to grow and you want to help other people grow, one of the things you have to do is embrace the awkward, embrace the awkward, not tolerate the awkward or run away from the, embrace the awkward. Some of you guys are like, Steve, you're always awkward. Of course you embrace the awkward. <laughs> All right, but you need to embrace the awkward because, so, you know, think about it. You, you notice somebody in your life who um, often speaks in a crude or harsh manner. You notice somebody in your life who uh, has stopped coming to church and community group for the most part. You know someone in your life who's, you know, engaging in a dating relationship in a way that doesn't, you know, align with Christ. And you go to that person and you go, hey, so, yeah. And you speak into their life. Like, how does that usually go? Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it goes really well. But also how it often will go is something to the effect of like, why are you being so legalistic? Or you don't know my heart. Or what, you think you're better than me? And, like, it, it creates an awkward conversation. But we, we need to love people enough. Um, and we need to be willing to be loved enough to have other people speak into our lives and just go through those awkward conversations that are going to help us grow and find life. As opposed to, like, that's super awkward, so I'm just not going to do it. Okay, and yes, you absolutely have to do it with gentleness and compassion and all those things. This is no license for harshness. But we need to be willing to embrace the awkward. And just for the record, um, I really think we as a church overall are growing in this. So just as an encouragement, um, I, I think we are growing in this. And so uh, this is more of just like a, one, just, you know, thank you for being an example to me in many ways, but also just an encouragement to let's, let's keep going in that and growing in that area. Okay, so that's the second way we, we help cure a hardened heart, a thick community, uh, embracing the awkward. And then number three, you know, how do we do all of this? How do we do all of this? Because it's so hard. Uh, and we see that in uh, verse one of chapter three. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Christ. That word consider doesn't mean consider him, kind of like you consider, am I going to move into this apartment or that apartment next year? The word consider here is to, to fixate on, to fixate on Jesus. And then the rest of that passage from verse 1 to 6, it's, he's comparing Jesus to Moses. And that's because for these original readers, you know, Moses was the, you know, the arch hero. I mean, he led the Israelites out of Egypt. He spoke with God. He, he gave the law. And the author is essentially saying, yeah, you know how amazing Moses is? Jesus is far better. And you said, think about in your life, you know, who is somebody you've put on a pedestal? You know, it could be somebody in your field, it could be a spouse, it could be, you know, not, I'm not saying for for a bad reason, but just someone you've, like, put on a pedestal who's either done something amazing for you, or someone who you really look up to in some way. And that's basically what, now we're in the position of the um, original readers looking at Moses. 
And what the author is saying is, who has done for you what Jesus has done for you? Right? That was all of chapter 1 and 2. Jesus who's greater than the angels. Jesus who's the one who everything beautiful in this world is just the dimmest shadow of. This king who upholds the world with his power knelt down on one knee to come alongside you and willingly take upon himself your weaknesses and your sorrows so that you don't only have a powerful God to help you, but all the sympathy of a brother and all the compassion of a friend. In his life and death and re- resurrection, you can have life beginning today. Like, who's done anything like that for you? And we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because the message of Hebrews is persevere, yes, but it's persevere than what? Persevere and draw near. Draw near to whom? Because that whom matters. Not an angry deity, not a well-intended friend who often fails you. Draw near to Christ who's your merciful and faithful high priest. Because he suffered, he's able to help you when you suffer. And so it's not, you know, work with all your might, persevere, don't get a hardened heart, listen to God's voice, you know, do it on your own strength. No, 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 it's do it because look at who you have. The exhortation isn't like be, be scared of falling away from God, although that's part of it, but it's like look at the beautiful person that you're invited to embrace. And as you see Jesus who's done this for you, what it also does is you think about moving toward other people because those awkward conversations are hard. Right? What you do is you see that Jesus didn't just do this for me, but he found this person in my life. He found them worth it to give up everything he had to give them everything, to give them the best. And if Jesus found them worth it, then I can find it worth it as well to come alongside them and to help them make it to the end where they can finally grasp in fullness that which Christ obtained for them. And so let's do that together as a community. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, this is, this is, this is hard. Um, thank you so much for loving us to uh, to speak these things into our life, Lord. And I pray that you would help me and every single one in this room, not in our own strength, but by the power of your spirit and by one another in this community, um, not grow hardened toward you, um, but truly be convinced that you're not just so good, uh, but so wise and so sacrificial toward us. Uh, thank you for inviting us into greater life and help us to do that with one another. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>